The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Your mommy again. You can go back and see mommy again. Uh, we have lots of kids that will come out on Saturday night, but right now we don't have kids' classes available, and there would be more people here, more families here, if we had kids' classes and stuff available, because we've learned that both the children and the parents have no fun sitting here listening to me when they're all having to be together and all that. So we need eight of you, eight of you from this service uh, on our online gathering to come back and join us here in person, as well as those of you that people will be here tomorrow. I'm asking them to, hey, come join our team and come try Saturday night. Uh, We have space for you there. We're getting kind of fuller and fuller on Sunday mornings. Everybody keeps coming back. We've had probably 15 new families check out our church the last couple of months, which is an exciting thing they've going on. Some new folks right here, I won't point them out, but they're all here, there, and everywhere. We're excited about that. Uh, in order to do this, though, uh, you're going to find that you'll get more out of a church when you're putting something into it. And a lot of you are already doing that, so way to go. High fives. We just want to say, hey, if you're not doing anything yet, or you could do maybe a little more, I mean, again, it's twice a month for about an hour or so at a service, so it's a couple hours uh, uh, every month to jump in there. Join in with that. On your connection card that they told, talked to you about just a couple minutes ago, I know none of you listened to what was going on up there because whenever there's a child up here on stage, it's just chaos and mayhem and all that. Yeah, hey, if you'd be willing to have us, have us talk to you about that, uh, let us know. We'd love to get you involved there and help kids like Gracie and all kinds of other kids that want to come out here on Saturday night, new families especially, come in and discover and follow Jesus. And speaking of kids, a couple weeks ago we had our big Compassion Weekend where Sandeep was here uh, talking about his story from India and how he was a compassion kid and all that. The uh, regional director for Southern Southern California region for compassion was here, and he told me, he said, Steve, typically what happens, a church your size, you do a big compassion weekend, probably 20, 25 kids get sponsored, which is, that's a great thing. Guess how many kids we sponsored that weekend? 72. Man! That's awesome, and a lot of you are already sponsoring kids. We have 80 to 100 kids that were already sponsored by you guys from a couple years ago. So way to go on that. We're going to be talking with you more about that. Write those kids, connect with them. Uh, just wanted to encourage you with that. If you've got a Bible, find the book of Acts. Uh, around you today, there are Bibles underneath the chairs, uh, and the little uh, things should be there. I don't, are they there? I think they should be there, yeah. Here's the deal. We don't put a lot of the verses up on the screen because at some point, here's the deal, at some point your life's going to go crazy sideways and you're not going to, I don't want you to call me at 3 o'clock in the morning. I want you to have gone, I, I paid attention to some things. I know where that is in the Bible because I have my Bible with me and I wrote some things down that I circled and underlined highlighted things there, other scriptures, verses. We want you to use your own Bible. If you don't have a Bible and don't have one at all, that's our gift to you. Take that Bible home with you. If you want a cool leather one, um, go to Lost and Found, and someone probably left it here and they forgot about it, and you can just take theirs. It'd be awesome. Um, recapping where we are, we're episode 11 in our book, uh, in our series of the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts tells us how the good news of Jesus went from about 12 to 100 people to all over the world within 30 years after Jesus uh, went, died and rose again and then ascended back to heaven. It went global in 30 years. And the book of Acts tells us how all that unfolds. And what has happened now is Peter and John go to the temple one day. There's a guy uh, that's been crippled from birth. We know he's been crippled for over 40 years, which means he's beyond 
help beyond anything anybody can do anything about. And Peter and John tell him, silver and gold we don't have for you because that's what he's there expecting. But he's, I'm going to blow your mind today. Stand up and walk. And the guy doesn't stand up and walk. He runs, he's leaping and causing a ruckus at church and it causes a ruckus in the temple because all these people have seen this guy for 40 years sitting there and now he's jumping around going, what's going on here? And Peter tells you, I'll tell what's going on here. Jesus is going on here. You got to get in on this. And in the midst of all that, chapter four happens. And again, just so you know too, that when the Bible was put together, it wasn't done with chapters and verses. So chapter three and four were just one continuous story narrative. The chapters are there to help us navigate and find things. So he's telling me, it's through Jesus that this happened and through Jesus that you're gonna find salvation. And you Jewish people, it started with Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and it just, boom, it's all about Jesus. Verse four, chapter four, verse one, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men. That's 5,000 heads of household, not counting women and children. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law Met in Jerusalem. In the, in the margin of your Bible, write down the word Sanhedrin. It's a council of 70 people. Very rarely do they get together except for big honking deal things. They're doing a big honking deal thing here. The Sanhedrin gets together. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power and in whose name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you built is rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, we're going to stop right there. You want to stay tuned for episode 12 next week to see how this trial, everything works out. But we're going to take some time right here and take a look at this and kind of go back through here and point some things out to you. There's a note sheet in that program that you've got on the back of it somewhere in there. Uh, let me take you through this. Let me pray before we kind of go back through here and unpack this. Jesus, today... By the power of your spirit, both in the preparation of what the band has done, what the tech people have done and are doing, what you put in my mind and heart today, beyond the excellence of our production, beyond any creative teaching methodology, beyond yelling and screaming or being just conversational, whatever it is, God, today, use this to inspire our faith and God, in some ways, for a few of us, perhaps, to step over that line of faith once and for all to trust you and you alone and trust that you're just going to do that uh, through us, because of us, and sometimes in spite of us. Amen. They're coming here, you'll see it there in your note sheet, to shut this thing down. Uh, the, the Sadducees are uh, there's the Sadducees, if those of you that are church people and grown up going to church, and there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees 
were the people that Rome had installed in all the high positions of power. The high priest and all the key people were Sadducees. They were more collaborators with Rome. They weren't like zealously trying to uh, speak out against Rome. They were charged with, hey, you Sadducees, uh, the Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, not all the other ones, and not all the other things that the Pharisees had put in there. Their big code books about religious observance and all that kind of stuff. The Sadducees were there to collaborate with Rome to keep the peace at all costs. We sometimes want to demonize the religious leaders of Jesus' day and don't recognize that Rome is ruling over them. Rome made it very, very clear. Hey, look, you're only here, Sadducees, because we put you in power. We will take you out, put somebody else in there. So they got to keep power there. And the thing is with Rome, despite all the movies that we've seen of how refined and cultured Rome was, we have not read history if we believe that Rome was refined and cultured. They just weren't. Rome was brutal. They would come in and you start messing around here, we will kill everybody, we will burn your whole city down, and we'll start again. They do this over and over and over again. So it's like, keep the peace, keep calm, keep quiet. All of a sudden now, there are, there are 5,000 heads of household that now believe in this Jesus, probably 20,000 people, from 100 people to 20,000 people in two months. We think our church grows. We get excited, 15 families come. <laughs> Boom, like that. Got things just growing out of control. It's, it's explosive growth. The Sadducees also don't believe in a resurrection from the dead. That's why they are so sad, you see. And it's terrible, huh? I should, yeah, let's edit that out for tomorrow. But they come there uh, to say, and they throw these guys in jail. And what they're saying here is, hey, you Christians, you followers of this way of Jesus, you're only allowed to be in this temple and preach because we let you do this. At any moment, we can just, bam, shut you down. They throw Peter and John in jail. And what Luke does in verse 4 is, is him looking at them going, nice try. You're, you're so cute. You're so funny. You think you have all this authority because he says, look what happens. All the, thousands of more people become Christians that day. You're not going to shut this thing down. You tried to shut down the start of this whole thing by getting Jesus crucified and you couldn't stop that there that way. You're not, not going to stop this thing. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell and the Roman Empire and Jewish religious authorities are not going to be able to stop this. They get called out the next day. And again, climb inside the story with me here. Those of you that have grown up going to church, here's Peter and John. They are put in jail and now they're being led through the courtyard to stand in front of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, for a trial. When was the last time they were there and have seen something like that? Think about it for a bit. On Good Friday. And Peter's now standing where he would have seen Jesus standing because Peter was in the courtyard and it says he could see the trial that was going on. So here's Jesus. He knows what happened to Jesus that day. Didn't end so well for Jesus that day. Despite the fact that he rose from the dead, you're not sure, do I want to get crucified? Do I want? They, they tried to crush us and kill the leader at this thing. What's going to happen to us? And he's also going to remember, man, when I was called to speak out and speak up for Jesus, a little junior high girl shamed me into denying Jesus three times. And I think Peter has this moment going, not this time. Like I've seen the truth of Jesus rising from the dead, and it tells us very clearly here, it wasn't just the eyewitness of the resurrection that inspired his faith. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit now. The Spirit was there, and he goes, I'm, we're not screwing this thing up again. And so he steps up and says, not this time. And, and these uh, Peter and John are, are defendants in a trial, and they... Uh, are not shrinking back and trying to defend themselves. And what do we say here? They move from defense to offense. They go on the attack here. 
And they say, so, you religious authorities here, the, the horribly, unspeakably cruel thing we have done that has caused all of you to be here together again to put us on trial is because we healed a guy who had been crippled for 40 years. Really? That's what we're on trial for. He says, but you want to know, you want to know how this happened? And he could have said, he could have given the Ellen DeGeneres, Oprah Winfrey talk show answer. And I'm like, I'm not disparaging any of them. They're great women and they do fantastic things and all that kind of stuff. But he could have just said, hey, a very generic safe answer. You know, we're just, it's a random act of kindness. We're just trying to show God's love and, and help make the world a better place. And look what we did is this cool thing for this guy today. And they would have been, okay, well, that was a cool thing. And they could have done that. But Peter says, you want to know how? I'll show you. I'm not going to tell you how. I'm going to show you who. It's not about how. It's about who. And he says, by the name and the power and the authority of Jesus, who, and in your own Bibles, I would tell you that little word there, you crucified. What's fascinating here is that in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 and then again in chapter 7, when these, uh, the, the Peter and John or the apostles, the early leaders of the Christian church are called on to speak out about who Jesus is and what he has done, they do not say, they do not say what church growth experts today would tell us to say. Because today it would be like, hey, you know what? Let's not be harsh and judgmental with people. Hey, we're all in the same boat. We all were responsible for Jesus dying on the cross. So, you know, Jesus, we're, we're all responsible for his death. Uh, and a lot of times they will use that message, and Paul will use that message, and Peter and John and James will say, hey, we all did this. We were all responsible for the death of Jesus. But once in a while, I wonder if I could be so bold tonight to just be as... I don't want to be crass for the sake of being crass, but once in a while, you need to be called out on your crap. This is, hey, you did this. Because see, if we just kind of say, hey, you know what, we're all in the same boat, whatever, you can go, well, yeah, we're not, I'm not so bad. We're all, we all kind of done some bad things. Once in a while, Jesus is going to look at you in the face and go, hey, pal, you're a jerk. You're an idiot. You're walking in disobedience. You're doing stupid, ridiculous things. And we need, once in a while, not all the time, some of you that are pit bulls for Jesus need to be quiet and not, not go out there and go out there and post all this stuff out there today. But once in a while, we got to be called out on our stuff. And if we just say, hey, we're all in the same boat, it loses the impact it needs to have to call me out on my stuff. And then they quote a well-known song from uh, Psalm 118, a song that all of them would know. And there would be all different kinds of versions of this uh, on Spotify and on the radio back then. There had been a, a country music version of this. There had been a, a rap, hip-hop version of it. I will spare you the details of what it might have sounded like. Um, some of you are going, oh, some of you are going, please, God, don't. Yeah. The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And back in, you've seen cornerstones on, on buildings all over our cities here. It's a cornerstone, and right now it's more symbolic. But back then, when you were going to build a building, you, would get, you had to get a stone that was chiseled exactly straight because that was the anchor, how you built the rest of the building around it. And back then, they didn't build hardly any houses out of wood. Everything was built out of stone. You know why? There are no trees in Israel. Very, very few trees. There's rocks and stone everywhere, so they would chisel things out. The truth is, Jesus probably didn't work with wood and make things out of wood. He probably chiseled things out of stone, being a carpenter, building things back then. 
So they would make a cornerstone, and they would try to, when you're having the cornerstone, you want it to be precisely chiseled out, and you'd want it to look really beautiful because it's the cornerstone. You want to make it awesome. And what he's saying is that you builders, you rejected this stone as even a building stone, and now God has made this stone that you rejected as a building stone at all and has made it, boom, the cornerstone. And back then before Jesus came, how everybody in Israel would have understood this is, hey, Israel has been rejected by the world. We're this ridiculous, nothing country, and yet God chose us. God chose them to be the cornerstone of his kingdom, the way to reach the world. And now this prophecy about Israel find its ultimate best fulfillment, not in Israel, and not in a country, but in a person whose name is Jesus and the kingdom he's building. So that's what he's saying. The stone the builders, you guys rejected him, you crucified him. He's now become the cornerstone. Um, and they could have stopped right there because now they've answered the question. How did this happen? How was this man saved from being crippled? It was the power of Jesus and, and Jesus alone. But instead of stopping right there, they thought, if we're in trouble... Let's just go all the way. Like at some point, if we're going to be, get beat up and get thrown in jail, get in prison, get fined for this, let's just go the whole way. Because what, here's what, watch what happens here. They say, you want to know how this crippled guy was saved? And they move now from how the crippled guy was saved to now talking about where the power is to save the whole world. That's a bold claim to make. A bold claim to make. And they say salvation is found in Christ alone. Now, when we talk about that, there's two big ideas in here we're going to talk about real quick, and this is the, the core idea of this thing today. The first part of it that's tricky for us to hear in our culture, in our world, is this idea that you need, we need to be saved. Some of us here, we need to be saved and think, shut up, dude. That's just pious religious talk. I'm fine. We're fine. You're okay. I'm okay. Uh, I know some other people that might need to get saved, but I'm, come on. Well, we'll deny that we really need salvation. We might need improvement, but not salvation. And they're going to say, no, you need salvation. So we sometimes deny it or we'll minimize it. Well, it's not, okay, I know I'm not perfect. What you'll tend to hear is, um, I know I've done some bad things, but come on, I'm not, I'm not Hitler or anything. Like, short of killing six million Jews, everything's okay with God. Like, you could, okay, I'm not perfect. And so what we'll do is we'll say, I, you know, I can get myself cleaned up. I can get myself right with God. I don't need someone or something else to save me. And then the third option is not to deny that we, we need salvation or number two, to think I can save myself. But number three is to go, okay, I need someone. I need something else to save me. And a lot of times what we do is we turn to religion and spirituality. And what, what Jesus tells us, we're going to look, take a look at a verse in here in a second, and what these disciples are saying here is you cannot save yourself. You can try. You can try to keep all the 613 laws of the Old Testament. You can do the five pillars of Islam. You can, uh, I don't even know, all. I didn't study all the religions here uh, of, of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and, and Eastern religions and New Age philosophies. He said, you can try to do all those things. He's going to say, nope, none of those will work to ultimately save you. It's Christ and Christ alone. And you'll see there on the title of your note sheet today, Jesus only. And you'll see there on the, the heading here on the note sheet, it's Christ alone? That's a challenging 
message for us to hear today. It's been a challenging message since the beginning of when Jesus shows up on the scene. To come along and say to the Roman Empire, no, no, all your gods and goddesses and spiritualities, no way, no how. Christ alone. Uh, the fancy eight-syllable word for this in philosophical terms is called inclusivism. If you want to write that down to sound fancy-fancy, uh, it won't be up on the screen at all, just sound it out. Inclusivism. Inclusivism says this. It says that all religions are true, or at least partially true, and have value. There is no absolute truth at all. Anything and everything is okay, and my morality and my spirituality is self-determined. No one should ever make a claim of absolute uh, right or wrong. And, and this is the world we live in right now uh, with hyper-individualism that's out there that says everything you are is no longer, don't let anybody impose their philosophy, their religion on you. And honestly, guys, this is where a lot of the dis discussion, debate around gender and sexuality are coming from right now. Everybody thinks it's about gender and sexuality, about determining what your sexuality is, determining even now what your gender is. Look, it's not about those things. Those are, those are the, the results of this hyper-individualism that says, don't let anybody tell you. Don't let God tell you. Don't let your parents tell you. Don't let a teacher tell you. Don't let the culture tell you. Morality and identity are completely determined, not by anyone or anything else, but by me, myself. That's where we're at. And so this claim of Jesus being the only way, our culture, I mean, it, maybe at church you go, okay, yeah, we should believe in all that stuff. So if you go out there and the world start talking about this stuff, you will get attacked, you will get labeled as an intolerant bigot. Um, I remember hearing a comedian several years ago talk about this. He said he, we, he was in Vietnam, and they were dug in to a foxhole there. It was crazy and all kinds of stuff going on in, in the war. And he said there was a guy in our unit, and, man, he had, <laughs> he had the Quran, he had the Old Testament, the New Testament, and some Hindu scriptures. He had a Star of David, uh, a pentagram, he had a cross, he had the crescent moon, he had a rabbit's foot, and some feathers there, in, all in his foxhole. And everybody looked at him and go, what are you doing, dude? He said, look, in my position, we can't afford to make anybody mad. This is what inclusivism said. Let's just, whatever. And then, of course, you'll see it up here on the screen, uh, the theology of Ricky Bobby. Now, I, I edited the picture because this is Will Ferrell running around a racetrack thinking he's on fire in his underwear. So nobody wants to see that ever again um, there. But thinking he's on fire, he runs around the track in his underwear crying out, Help me, Jesus. Help, help me, Jewish God. Help me, Allah. Help me, Tom Cruise. Get the, the fire off me with your witchcraft. Help me, Oprah Winfrey. He's like, oh, just it's the inclusivism. We want whatever it takes and however you want to do it, as long as you're sincere in it. It's the theology of Ricky Bobby. Inclusivism is out there. And for people outside the Christian faith, this is a challenging thing to hear. It's the biggest, one of the biggest objections to people becoming Christians and, and, and considering Jesus is the idea of Christ alone. It's a challenging thing for us to hear today. And the truth is, it's not just challenging for people outside the faith. It's also challenging for a lot of us that would say, I'm a Christian, because it goes like, really, we're saying Jesus and Jesus alone? Because the hard part about that is I know some good people who don't believe in Jesus. They're better Christians than a lot of Christians I know. But they believe in something or someone else. And so what do we do with that? My, my hope today for you is, is twofold. One, first of all, is to help you that are not yet Christians, maybe fans of Jesus, Christian-ish, 
like, I kind of think this is cool and interesting, but you've never come to that place of going, okay, I believe in Christ, that what he did for me 2,000 years ago, I'm going to believe in him and him alone for getting me right with God. My hope is we to equip and inspire you today to make that decision. And then for the rest of us, who maybe have said, yeah, I'm a Christian, who struggle with this, to inspire your confidence in faith, that it's Christ and Christ alone, and why that's, that's not harsh and intolerant, that that's the best news that, that we have out there. But, but in the culture and the world that you're in, there's a couple of analogies that you use frequently. Most of the time in freshman philosophy classes at, at, major, at universities, sometimes even uh, you'll, you'll see this bandied about all over the internet. Uh, it's the first one, it's called, it's the pathways arguments. Uh, argument. There's a sign, there's a picture coming up on the screen here in a second. This is, there's lots of roads, and they all start at different places, but eventually, it all merges into the same thing, and we'll all eventually get to God. You can Google this and look this up. It's like a mountaintop. On the top is God, and all these pathways cross each other, but at some point, we all end up at the same place, that all religions are equally true. Uh, some response to that is, do we really want to say that all religions are true and valuable, or just the ones we like? Because the truth is, back in the day, there was the Ammonite religion. You know what the Ammonite religion believed, what you're supposed to do? You're going to say that all religions are equally true and valid? You took live baby children and threw them alive into a fire to satisfy the God. Like, so we're okay with that. That's all good, equally true. And then in our more modern day times, David Koresh, Jim Jones, 900 people drinking Kool-Aid down in Guyana to worship their God. Like, we're not going to say they're all equally true. Here's the thing you need to know today. Religions, different spiritualities can do great things for a culture and society. We're not saying that people believe different things are evil, terrible, disgusting uh, people. Oftentimes, they're wonderful, beautiful, decent people. They will do great things for society. They will not save us and restore us back to a relationship with God. Um, one of the things you'll see on bumper stickers, on t-shirts, all over social media, uh, when it comes to being a parent right now, is your, your mission is to raise good humans. Jesus is not interesting in raising good humans. He's here to save us from ourselves. He's going to tell us in all of the Bible, the truth is none of us are good, not even one. And we, some of us are better than others, but ultimately we have a big problem, and our problem is sin. And he came to save us from our sin. Uh, and you have the freedom, look, to believe that all the roads lead to God. You have a freedom even to, to say that all the religions meld into one and all that, but, but understand me tonight. The Bible never teaches that. So believe it because you have the freedom to believe it, especially we live in a free country, that largely because of Christianity, say we respect and value all kinds of religious faiths to believe what they want, but don't come with the nonsense that this is the teaching of the Bible, that all the pathways lead to God, because it's just not true. And yet in some ways, I was looking at a, a website this week, somebody sent it to me. Eventually, all the roads are going to get us to God. Let me explain that, because what you just said they don't. Nobody's saying Philippians chapter 2. Uh, you can turn there if you want. I'm just going to kind of summarize it from memory here. It says that though Jesus, though he was God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. But it says instead he made himself nothing. He became a human being and he lived amongst us as a, a servant and a slave. Uh, not considering equality with God as something to be grasped. It says, and then he, he laid down his life. He was crucified, died a criminal's death on a cross. He says because of that, 
God has exalted him to the highest place. He says, so the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And my hope and prayer is that God gives people a chance after this life, in the next life, to have a moment perhaps to to bow their knee to Jesus and become a Christian. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I hope and pray that it is. What what I think it's teaching us is you're going to either bow out of a relationship with Jesus uh, or going to bow in rebellion as as someone who hates Jesus. But he says at some point, every every person, every human being is going to come to a point of recognizing who Jesus is and what he has done. So there's the pathways argument, and that's, hopefully that will help you understand that look, all the pathways don't lead to God. And it's, it's fine to, again, like I said, believe that if you want, but to go look, if all the pathways lead to God, then Christianity doesn't, because Jesus makes the claim that he's the only way. So you can't believe polar opposite things and have them both be true. The other argument that gets used quite a bit is the one, you see a picture up here about the blind men and the elephant. And it's these uh, blind men that come across an elephant, but they can't see. And you can see there, somebody thinks it's a fan at the ear, it's a spear at the tusk, it's a snake, it's a, it's a tree, it's a wall, it's a rope. They, they all different parts of it. And uh, this comes from a book uh, called The Reason for God by a guy named Tim Keller. I'd encourage you to get it and read it. Uh, let me just quote what he says here. They all say different things about the elephant based on their interaction with him. The conclusion of the story, then, is that the different religions of the world are like these men, each having a small glimpse of total truth, but not a comprehensive understanding of reality. We are, do our best to interpret the data, but in the end, we're all talking about the same thing. Now, this does present a powerful picture of the normative conviction of many people in our post-Christian Western world. But the story backfires because it's being told from the vantage point of someone who can actually see, someone who is not blind, someone who does have a comprehensive vision, understanding of reality, which the story claims nobody has. It's an immensely arrogant claim of one who sees the full truth of all the world's religions are only groping after. It embodies the claim to know the full reality, which the story itself claims that nobody can. So it it contradicts itself. You see, this is the problem in our world of hyper-individualism, that you do you, the silly thing about your truth is your truth, and the statement, the statement that there is no absolute truth is a statement of absolute truth. It contradicts itself. To say there is no absolute truth, you know what that is? That's an absolute statement about what truth is. And so when you do that, it kind of collapses in on itself, and it doesn't work. And that's why here at Crosspoint, we don't say Christ alone, we wonder about that. everything, Christ alone with exclamation marks, boldly, unapologetically, and with great humility. To say, we're, we're not, it's not a power claim. Um, see, Jesus said, Jesus said, they will kill me, and I will rise again, and he did it. There's verses on your note sheet, you can look them up, from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus predicted that he would die that he would rise again, and look, anybody can say he's God, anybody can say he's the only way, and then say, well, I'll die and rise again. If he doesn't do it, we're done, we're out. But because he did it, it the resurrection is the validation of his claim that he's the only way. Now, 
Don't miss this, friend. Crosspoint, look at me. And online, look at me. Watch me right now. Because Christians over the years have done dumb, stupid, evil, terrible things with the idea of Jesus being the only way. This is not an ultimatum. This is an invitation. This is an invitation to say, look, salvation that all the religions and philosophies are hoping, karma, maybe I can do enough good deeds, Jewish religion, hope I can keep enough of the good deeds to be right with God, the five pillars of Islam, can I do all those things? And, and nobody knows for sure, am I in or am I out? He says, look, salvation is possible not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. It's actually possible for you. Come and get in on it. So don't make this be a power play. To, to, to point people out, it's, it's had the confidence, and it's like, look, we love you enough to tell you the truth and not let you believe what the popular culture believes, that all the roads lead back to God, because at some point there comes the intersection. You have to make a decision about who Jesus is. You'll see this sticker out there, though, in the world. You've seen this on some bumper stickers, right? Coexist. All the different symbols of world religions. Uh, on, on, on cars and on social media stuff, especially when in the world or in our country there are all kinds of really divisive things going on with other countries, other religions. It's like, let's coexist. Uh, and we, what we tell you today here at Crosspoints, we believe that you should learn to coexist with people who believe starkly different things than you do. You need to learn to respect them. We, we need to be people that are tolerant. But tolerance, tolerance doesn't equal endorsement. You should write that down. Tolerance does not equal endorsement. In our culture today, what tolerance mean, means is not just, hey, everybody has the right to believe different things that are true or not true, and I'm going to defend your right to believe something that I believe is not right. No, tolerance means is, no, I believe you're right. And the second you start to say to somebody like, I don't think that's right, oh, that's not, that's, that's judgmental and, and, uh, and hypocritical and intolerant. Tolerance does not, uh, mean endorsement as true. And the other thing we have to see here too is that disagreement with people doesn't mean destroy them. Church history, sadly Christian church history, there's been times we've been ridiculous as Christians, evil as Christians. We went out with the power of the church and state and went out to impose Christianity on other cultures and other faiths. Not spreading the good news of Jesus and say, hey, come and receive this, but to go out there and threaten people and threaten countries and say, you must believe this. And that was just, that's just a dumb, wrong thing to do. But here's the other thing, too. That doesn't have so much happen here in our, in our country at all. But I, I know that sometimes what happens is we'll see people who believe different things than we do about Jesus or God, and you'll see somebody who's um, a well-spoken person, uh, who gets out there and has millions of followers on social media and they will debate people. And man, they're so good. And you'll watch them debate an atheist or debate somebody of a different faith and just crush them. And it's like, yeah, that's right. We wiped them out. We wiped that guy out. That is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus said, I'm not here to wipe you out. I'm here to win you over. Which means we need to let say some tough things with a soft tone. We need to learn that as we argue about Jesus and discuss with this with people, we invite people into our home and say, let's have meals, let's share coffee together, let's share good beverages and food together, let's have a conversation about this. And say, look, I love you enough to tell you the truth, but let's talk about this. Let's not make our disagreements and this claim that Jesus is the only way an ultimatum, let's make it an invitation. 
Because it doesn't matter if Jesus is the only way if everybody's offended by him and hates him because we're jerks. The thing you need to know, too, is this is not anything that Christianity made up. Jesus himself said this. What Peter and John are saying here in front of the Sanhedrin echoes. Acts 4.12 echoes John 14.6. Jesus is in the upper room. He says, I'm going away. I'm going back to God, back to the Father. He says, and someday you're going to come be with me where I am. He says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. And we love you enough. I love you enough. Those of you that are wondering about Jesus and God and all that stuff, to tell you the truth, to go, you've got to know this. To trust in Christ and Christ alone as the invitation to go, salvation is actually possible. And there's a quote there in your note sheet that I just love. It'll be up on the screens as well by a guy named C.S. Lewis who wrote Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity, a bunch of other great books that you ought to read and turn off Netflix and Hulu and all that stuff. But um, he says, it's a famous quote called Lord liar or lunatic. If you've grown up in church or whatever, you've probably heard this a time or two, but I want to reinforce this message with a guy who's much smarter than I am, and if I could do it with an English accent, I would, because it sounds cooler and more enlightened and refined when it's English or Australian, but here we go. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Here's why this is important today. Not just a theological conviction that Jesus is the only way. That evil comes from both religion and rebellion. Evil comes from religion and rebellion. Unrighteousness and self-made righteousness. And what the apostles said back then, what Jesus tells us, like you need salvation. You need salvation from your, your unrighteousness and some of us need salvation from our being good church kids, growing up in church and thinking that doing all the right things and coming to church and obeying all the rules makes you a Christian. You'd be, yeah, both those things you need salvation from. And that salvation is actually possible. And what faith in Jesus is, embracing Jesus is the only way. It says that what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago counts for me today. If people ask, well, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? That's what it means. What he did on the cross when he died for my sin in my place, that counts for me today. And I receive, here's the great news, even if you've done the unspeakable, abusive people, alcoholics, people who had abortions, if you've killed, Peter's here and John are saying here, if you've killed the infinite son of God, which all those people in that council had condemned Jesus to die, he said, salvation's possible for even you. And here's the crazy thing, salvation's possible for those of us who've done the unspeakably worst of all thing. If you've had the unmitigated gall to think that somehow your good deeds and your church attendance and all the good things you do could square the deal with a holy and righteous God. God says that's, that's probably the worst thing of all that you could ever think. Salvation is possible. And so what we want to do here today as the band comes up is to recognize that, is to recognize who Jesus is. For those of you who are not yet Christians, 
In just, in just a minute or two, I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead you in a prayer to say, if it's time for you to cross the line and say yes to Jesus, while you're sitting there in your seat, you can say the prayer to yourself quietly under your breath, or you can, in your mind, just go, yes, Jesus, this is what I'm doing today. But today is the day of salvation. Don't let this day pass you by. Receive that. Receive that salvation that Jesus offers you today. And then I also want to encourage you with this thought, too. Every week we come here and give you a chance not just to recognize and receive Jesus, but to remember him. And that's what we do in this thing called communion. It's some bread and juice. And in the four corners of the room, we have communion stations. There's some bread and juice there. We have actual real bread and real juice there again. We're through all the COVID protocols and all that. We also have a gluten-free communion uh, that's there for you as well. And we have, uh, those of you that still need the um, very sanitized version of that, that will be available to you as well. When you today, as the lights go down on here in a minute or two, and we, our band is going to sing some great songs about God being so good, and then a song about, what's the last song? No Other Name, which is exactly what we are talking about today. Um, and you eat that bread that symbolizes the body of Jesus. You drink that juice that symbolizes his blood. What you're saying is, I'm depending on this, on Jesus and Jesus alone to square the deal with God. It's not the act of doing a religious ritual. It's simply a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Our prayer team is also in the back today. Katie's back there, other people will be back there. If you need prayer for anything, now that we're not having to wear masks anymore and we can actually hear each other without that mask on, I encourage you, if you need prayer for anything today, Katie's back there, would love to pray with you about that today. And if you're here today, either online, watching and listening, or sitting out here in the seats. I don't know all your story. I want to invite you as I bow my head, close my eyes, and pray right now. I'm going to say a prayer, a prayer of faith, that you can let that echo in your heart to be your step of faith, to cross over the line from being a rebel against God to having a relationship with God. So Jesus, today, I come to you on behalf of people who need to get right with you today, who need to receive the forgiveness that Jesus and Jesus alone offers. And so God, we admit, I admit today that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I believe what you did for me 2,000 years ago on that cross counts for me today to square the deal with you, to forgive all my sin and to bring me into a relationship with you. I trust you and you alone for that today. And God, we come now today to tables of communion to a place of, of music and singing to declare that you're so good and that there is no other name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.